Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. Touch wood, because as we record, Everton against Arsenal still to be played on Monday night. It's been a pretty good weekend for officiating in the Premier League, but we do need to talk about goalkeepers. When are they in possession of the ball? What level of protection does the law give them? And do they get away with too much? Plus, in grassroots football, there are calls for referees to wear body cams to prevent abuse. We'll discuss the merits of that as well. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist who, who is on our YouTube channel. We'll see has his Christmas tree up. Uh, with me, as always, is the man who, if at many a festive season, as a former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Evening, Mike. Uh, have you got your tree up, by the way? Pardon? Have you got your tree up, by the way? Uh, no, not yet. We're, we're, I, I see yours is uh, up and dandy, but you've got youngsters, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I understand all that. We, we're, we're always a bit delayed. Fair enough. Fair enough. And ours, our tree actually is the shape of a tree. It's not like a Christmas sort of spruce thing. <laughs> yeah, this is all artificial. Uh, it's 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 no good really. Uh, but it uh, it comes out of the attic every year and it it saves a bit of stress. Uh, speaking of stress, before we get onto the weekend's refereeing decisions, uh, it struck me watching the Grand Prix earlier on that being a Formula One steward uh, seems to be a pretty thankless task uh, in terms of the sporting universe. Um, it may be that. It may be something else. Actually, what, what do you think is the hardest sport to referee? I do think that with the technical requirements of motor racing F1, the speed at which they're going, the the clear sort of, if you like, competitive nature, the amount of money that's being spent, uh, cars whizzing around a track, you would think are easily, uh, are easy to police. But in, in reality, we saw this weekend... Uh, uh, you know, two two terrific drivers. There's no question they can drive a car at fast pace. Hamilton and Max Verstappen, and and I think that their recent, uh, I'd, I'd put it politely, spats are in fact damaging the image of the sport. Uh, you know, when there's this move that Verstappen has made, and he gets an instruction from his garage to move aside and let Hamilton pass. Uh, Hamilton decides not to pass. Um, I think the media second-guessing what he's doing or trying to, and then all of a sudden uh, Verstappen uh, slows down and uh, the the front wing of Hamilton's car is damaged. It, it didn't look good. And then, of course, the communication of a five-second penalty. I, I just I just feel that it's a little bit like sometimes yellow cards. You want a heavier punishment than just a yellow card. Uh, you know, in, in grassroots football, we've got sin bins. Uh, not used often enough to actually not control the game, but, but make certain players play within a certain discipline. And here, I think the only punishment for me is a drive-through penalty rather than actually at the end of the race saying we're going to take five seconds off or whatever that penalty is. Um, if, if you can do it in the race, do it in the race. 
Well, we'll uh, find out what happens next weekend in uh, what's been a dramatic Formula One World Championship. But we're here to talk about the football. And before we get into goalkeepers, we should mention as well uh, the many tributes that have been this weekend, Keith, to six-year-old Arthur Labino-Hughes. If you are listening outside the UK, you may not be aware of this story, but uh, this week Arthur's father and stepmother, they were jailed for manslaughter and murder, respectively. The, The details of this story... I'm afraid absolutely horrific. And football took a moment to to pay its respects uh, to Arthur. Many games were stopped in the sixth minute, uh, Keith, and and some wonderful tributes this weekend. Well, I I was watching the uh, Aston Villa-Leicester City game, the Midlands derby. I understand that's where the young boy lived before he was brutally murdered. I thought it was a real fitting tribute uh, that the game stopped, not just... Not just Let's have an applause. Uh, and the players standing in, in applause. Um, I think that is the most, tr- uh, you know, fitting tribute that that I've ever seen in football given to this young boy because I don't think there's anybody with a... will not have been touched if they're aware of this heart-rendering story, you know. And even in fairness, I think with the heavy punishments that's given to the two uh, people involved. Um, even the government's going to review the sentencing or or the chief attorney is to see whether, in fact, uh, perhaps the, the sentencing is light or too mm. light. I, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who says that for, I just have a view that where there's been child abuse, where there is death... Um, lock them up and throw the key away, um, is is my general view. But I think it goes a bit deeper, this. I think it goes into the realms of, have we got enough care workers in terms of people who can do the home visits, keep an eye on? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting any blame on these people. I'm sure that their soul-searching this week could have done any more. Uh, but it, it seems to me that it's it's odd that a case of this nature, which clearly has gone on for some weeks, um, was not detected and acted upon. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be much more to, to come on, on that story in particular. Well done, football. Well yeah, done, football. And, and just on the, the actual tributes them, themselves, uh, Keith, uh, will... Michael Oliver, for instance, in the Aston Villa game, had been informed of what was going to happen, what was planned, so that it was coordinated with the referee, with the officials, to make sure it it went as well as it did. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, when these things are going to happen, uh, the ground control, the, the home team, you know, the teams will have agreed, the Premier League will be aware. And good on them, good on the CEO of the Premier League and, and the two clubs and the managers and the players. Um, I thought that they, it was a fitting tribute. Let's stay at Villa Park, actually, because one of the big talking points of the weekend is a disallowed goal for Aston Villa, uh, where Kasper Schmeichel, after a VAR review, is deemed to have been in possession of the ball. If you haven't seen this incident, he's made a save, uh, and as he falls to the ground, an outstretched left arm comes out, places a hand on the ball, which is in contact with the ground, and on that basis, when it's kicked from his grasp, essentially, the goal is ruled out. Um, the, the law itself, uh, well, 
I was going to say it's pretty clear, but there's been some misreading, I guess, of the the law this weekend as as people have come across it, Keith. So let's go through why Michael Oliver has made the correct decision here. I think the old process is that we've got a very experienced referee that remains calm all the time. He never looks under pressure, but clearly inside he probably is. Uh, and of course, it's exaggerated by the fact that Casper Schmeichel is beginning to be a, ref- a, a player that that moans about everything uh, when a ball when a ball hits the back of the net. <laughs> but that's a subsidiary thing, really. Um, I watched it, um, and I, I immediately thought, "Oof, that looks okay." And then I start thinking, "Right, VARs come in, Michael Oliver." And we then go to the law. Uh, the, the backstop is always really to have the laws. And, of course, anybody can have a look at the laws of the game if they go to www.theifab, theifab.com, and they can read the laws. And the laws is quite clear. I think it says a goalkeeper is considered to be in control of the ball with the hand bracket S, or hands, when the ball is between the hands or between the hand and any surface, surface, i.e. ground, his own body, or by touching it with any part of the hands or arms, except if the ball rebounds from the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper has made a save. And I think that is probably where there's a lot of confusion. Yeah, so so what does that, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Because people, are, I think, are taking the the impression that that means well, Casper Schmeichel's made a save, and therefore the next few seconds of play, he's not deemed to be in control of the ball just by putting his hand on yeah. it. But that's not what the law is saying. No, I think that what you've got here is you've got a situation, a scenario where let's let's be quite clear. In the case of Schmeichel, he's made a save. He's the ball's loose. He's now got his hand on it, so his hand is on the ball within the ground area. Now, if, for example, he's made a save and that ball is loose, but within striking distance, then that, the, the player's allowed to go for the ball. And you then have to take that scenario a little bit further because let us take the goalkeeper who is clearing the ball upfield with a kick, not from the floor, but he's got it in his hands, a drop ball. In that situation, he cannot be challenged for the ball. If a player makes a challenge at that point, then that's deemed dangerous mm. and as a, and, and can in fact result as an injury. So here what we're saying is the ball is very clearly on the ground. The goalkeeper has got possession and it's kicked from his hand. And that, that then puts, if you like, some danger into that goalkeeper. And that's how they've interpreted the law. That's how Michael Oliver has interpreted the law. And I think most referees would support that that interpretation. Um, you know, it then goes on to say, holding the ball in an outstretched open hand, bouncing on the ground or throwing it in the air, the goalkeeper cannot be challenged by any opponent when in control of the ball with the hands. Simple. I'm glad we've cleared that up then, Keith. Um, just in terms of uh, other decisions this weekend, there was uh, a challenge on... Well, actually, no, that's the wrong way of phrasing it. In the Newcastle-Burnley game, Nick Pope comes yeah. to claim a cross. 
Uh, he takes the ball in both hands, and then as he's going back to the ground, he collides with a couple of players, including Newcastle United's uh, share, I think. Yeah. And then fumbles the ball. Um, now, in fairness to Burnley and Sean Dyche, they didn't complain about this particular incident. Uh, it's clearly been deemed by the officials to have just been a fumble. Um, but what I, I, it's an interesting uh, case of where the boundaries are in terms yeah. of when a goalkeeper goes up, how much protection do they get from uh, challenges in the air? Because obviously they, they can't defend themselves with their arms because their arms are outstretched trying to claim the ball. So where does the the law lie here, Keith? Well, I think what we have to look at, first of all, is is that goalkeeper being impeded, deliberately impeded? Is he uh, being held or is he being pushed? Or is he being elbowed? In this case, I think that the goalkeeper, and he is a terrific goalkeeper, I like Pope. I, I, I just think he's number one, personally, but that's another, another story. He's gone out for a ball and he's got a choice. He has a decision to make, and that is, does he catch it, like most goalkeepers hopefully do, or does he make that punch? And uh, he's got to make that judgment based on, you know, one can say a thousand times he's done it, or 10,000 times he's done it uh, in terms of body mechanics. But in reality, what he's done is he's caught it, and I think you've described it accurately. He's, he's caught it fairly, and on the way down, he's got bumped because he's, 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 if you like, come into contact with an opponent. That's football. It is a contact sport. And in doing so, ideally, what he's got to do is hold on to the ball, but he didn't. So there was no offence committed. And uh, I think the match officials did well not to uh, to come in, uh, and uh, think think they were right, got it right, well done the ref. It, it feels like the oldest cliche in football refereeing or punditry around football refereeing is that goalkeepers are offered, and I'm doing the air quotes here, too much protection, Keith. Um, where has the pendulum on this swung at the moment, do you, do you feel, in, in the modern game? Uh, do goalkeepers get the, the right amount of protection at the moment? Are they a little bit too protected? Um, or do they deserve a little bit more help from referees? Where 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 are we at right now? I think uh, I, I, I'm in the same position as I was a year ago and two years ago and three years ago. I, I don't think the scenario of the ball entering the penalty area is any clearer now than it was years ago. I think that, sadly, the game of football, F-O-O-T, ball, football, is sadly moving into a zone of grappling, pulling, holding, blocking. Um, and if you like, strength is overcoming skill. In, in the in that scenario. And we see goalkeepers going in and oh sorry, referees going in and parting them and blowing and saying, right, here's a word of warning coming out and it continues. And I and I think that it's one aspect of the the game as a whole that referees at the very highest level have got to get a grip with. You know, I think that it, the the laws of the game are quite clear. They they've actually emphasized the fact that they want in their guidance to referees, they want referees to be stricter in this area, but they're not. So this whole question of holding, pulling, pushing, uh, grappling, as I put it, um, 
is in, in fact allowed and rarely punished. And, and um, you know, that, that makes life more difficult for the referee because the player who thinks he's got away with it once will get away with it again. And I suppose when we look at that in the in the whole, it just makes life much more difficult for, for referees, doesn't it? When it's not just whether a goalkeeper is being challenged illegally, you've got to look at it's whether four or five different offences are all occurring at the same time, which, if any, is the most prominent. And sometimes is it just easier for a referee to find a foul on a goalkeeper? Can it be a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card at times? Well, I think if I think there's a balance here. I think that the referee can verbally communicate to players and set an example, but it's got to be everybody. You know, I, I can remember uh, Howard Webb in the, I think one of the games in in European Championships, penalising Poland in the closing minutes of the game for a, for a holding offence, very clear holding offence. And, and following that, he got death threats and the, even the, you know, the uh, prime minister of that particular country, Poland, uh, offering threats to him publicly. Um, and that resulted in Howard having to have police protection for a spell, him and his family. So for me, I think that that's in the extreme. But, you know... Managers and coaches, it's a cat and mouse game. And if, if as they've got a weak bunch of referees in this area, they'll take advantage of it. And they'll say, look, we can get away with the pull. We can get away with the push. And, of course, a lot of these offences are taking place before the ball arrives. So, yes, yeah, sometimes find a foul is important. Um, but, you know... You're saying find a foul for the goalkeeper. I'm saying find a foul for the penalty. And I, t- I tell you what, <laughs> whenever this is uh, the other classic thing that you you, you tend to see, and I, I'm, I must have referred to this in commentary at least a dozen times um, in in the last season or so. When there is a disputed free kick outside the penalty area, how many times out of ten do we see a foul being given against the attacking team? To almost get rid of any controversy of you know a goal resulting from a uh, a controversial award of a free kick in the first place, Keith. It, 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 maybe it's just one of these confirmation bias things, but it does feel like it happens a lot. I I think that generally, I, you know, I've coached referees, many of them, and and I say that what you have to do is give what you see, and um, you know, it, it's so important that that referees have high levels of integrity, honesty, and and do take that stance. And, you know, we're not there to be loved. We, we have to make some critical decisions that nobody likes. I mean, in that game that, uh, at Aston Villa v Leicester, uh, there was, a, there was a, a clear case in terms of a foul. Michael Oliver got caught it, uh, way short. And there, were, there was a, there was a, it gave a foul when, in fact, they were on, on the attack. Uh, Johnny Evans was involved in in the in the situation, and I thought that was a pretty harsh challenge. By by that, I mean a harsh decision from Michael. I think he should have allowed play to go on. Um, in and but he took the safety option of blowing the whistle and 
and just giving it. Now, before we move on to the Women's FA Cup final, because there are a couple of big decisions in there that I think it's worth uh, talking about. Simon Hooper this weekend, uh, stepping into the breach, uh, Keith. A bit of praise for him. I've probably been his biggest critic. Uh, more, to, more to do with his fitness and mobility uh, rather than his decision-making. I, I just feel that, um, you know, when we moved from amateur referees to professional referees, the word athletic had to come into the, into the, the scenario. And, you know, I, I, you know there, there were certain referees that I had to deal with. Um, Phil Dowd comes to mind when, you know, I occasionally had to say to him, look, I think you need to cross the sweets and puddings off your, uh, off your menu. <laughs> um, because, you know, body shape is important in that, in that situation. Simon Hooper, I, I think he's still fighting for his position on the list. If we look at people like Anthony Taylor uh, and Oliver and Tierney, they've had 10, 11 games so far. And uh, Hooper, Simon Hooper, sits at five. So he's clearly not in that first name on the list, is he? Or even second, third name on the list. And, you know, one thing about refereeing and playing is the more you play, the better you become. The more you referee at that level or whatever level you're at, the better you become because it's based on confidence. So even since he's joined the list, he's had a start-start scenario. So he's gone into this weekend picking up the, the appointments on the Monday before and he suddenly looked and said, I'm fourth official and I'm VAR. So he's not even going to get a run out in the middle. So his fourth official and VAR in this afternoon's game, Manchester United Crystal Palace. And for some unknown reason, um, Kevin Friend, who was the appointed official, was clearly not able to do that game. And Simon Hooper was thrust into the middle. Don't know the hours or when that appointment was made, but he clearly stepped up to the middle. I, I thought there was, he worked hard. Uh, I still think he's got some work to do on his his uh, explosive sprinting, but then I say that about a lot of the referees. But there was one outstanding piece of refereeing in this game when Danny Rose fouled a player uh, and right on the halfway line, and he waited, as good referees do, and applied an advantage, which eventually materialised in a goal. Uh, and it was an excellent piece of refereeing to apply the advantage, which is what I think good referees should do, but then rightly so went back and uh, cautioned uh, uh, Danny Rose. I thought it was a real, really good good piece of advantage. And therefore, for me, I'm praising him this week. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to give him the credit and say, look, come on, Mike Riley, he's had a good game. Nobody was disputing his decisions. Give him another one. Let him get into a run of games that builds his reputation, builds his confidence. Uh, he looks a reasonable guy. He's human. Uh, and hopefully that might happen. But who knows? Also this weekend then at Wembley, the uh, 50th 
Women's FA Cup final uh, held as well uh, on the 100th anniversary of, of women's football being banned uh, by the FA. A significant day uh, all round and a couple of interesting decisions for the referee to make here. Um, one, uh, a penalty claim, another, a handball claim. So I guess both penalty claims, actually. But there we go. Um, but both right, in your opinion, Keith, in terms of them being turned down. Yeah, I, I mean Helen is from the northeast. It's it, you know it's got a history of producing top class referees. Um, she gets about the field, uh, and, and Wembley's a big place. But she was there thereabouts all the time. I think she was helped by Lisa Rashid and Mel Bergen, who are two experienced assistant referees. So I think this was a really good appointment by the FA. Um, and and I felt that she really had a good game. Now, what concerns me is that she took a lot of stick from the pundits. I suppose that's what they paid for because of these two penalty decisions. Let me explain the first one. The player, defending player, has, has gone down to ground and has got one hand uh, in contact with the ground. Not bouncing, but static. She's, she's, she's lost her balance. She's down the ground. She's naturally saving herself from falling and her face touching the ground, and the ball hits her arm. She's not, she's not made her arm, uh, an arm bigger to deliberately handle the ball. You know, it, it, it's never a penalty kick in a million years. And she's made a really good decision she, from a really good position of judgment, and she gets criticised for it. But I think that's the life of a referee. So for me, I'm really complimentary about that. Then she had another penalty shout, which was even perhaps more difficult, and that was player going through, if you like, from the right-hand side of the penalty area, inside the penalty area, and goes to ground. And she's waved aside the appeals for a penalty kick. And when they played the replay, what you see is the attacker has actually stood on the defender's feet and gone over because of imbalance. Again, she got criticised, but for me, it was a it was a first class uh, decision. Um, there was some really good play in that. I'm I've still to be convinced about women's football. I shouldn't say that publicly, uh, but I have to say that the advances this season in the women's game at all levels is remarkable. I, I saw some skill in this particular game from both sets of players that show how quickly it's advancing. The coaches are obviously getting into players who are now training more frequently, playing more frequently. Um, but there was one odd occasion when the goalkeeper of one of the teams was suffering with cramp. And I was trying to find out how that could occur. But uh, Well, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I, I, I should give you the opportunity here, Keith. You know, when you say you're still to be convinced, what, what, do, you, what do you need to be convinced of? In terms of the women's game, not 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 in terms of the women playing the game uh, or participating in the game. Uh, perhaps uh, the level of investment and their demands. You know, I I I read. I, you know, I keep up to date, and I, you know, there was the comment. You know, we want full time professional referees, and we want VAR, and we want goal line technology, and yeah. I'm all for that. I introduced a lot of that into the into the professional environment. 
But in reality, they're not securing the crowd levels to be able to sustain revenue streams to actually afford those things. So this is, be patient. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a debate in the women's game about you know VAR and things like that. And it's interesting, actually, that the, the uh, winning manager today, Chelsea's Emma Hayes, has, has said she's against it uh, for the reasons that actually that money's probably better spent elsewhere developing the game at the moment. So um, there's there's a, clearly a mix of views uh, in terms of that too. Um, before we go, I wanted to address this. We, we spoke about it at the, the start of the show, Keith. Body cams. And calls, you know, perhaps growing for referees to be able to wear body cams. The idea being that if the referee is wearing a camera, a player is far less likely to hurl abuse in their direction. Um, And some of the unsavoury scenes that unfortunately we hear about most weekends now in terms of what's happening in grassroots football might go away. What do you think of the merits of of doing this and, and the practicalities? of maybe doing this? Well, I think, first of all, uh, Mike, what we've got to understand is the number of referees that are leaving the game. Uh, and um, and that is has to be a worry. There's too, there's too many games that, uh, that are operating and taking place without referees. And there are some games that are no longer having a referee covering them. So for me, that's a real, a real concern. So I think that the FA have got to make every effort to try and stop the drain of referees leaving the game. You know, I was reading an article this week about referees on the Isle of Wight and, you know, some competitions not being able to to go ahead. Now, if we've got a game where we're trying to encourage all youngsters to play, we want more referees to referee their games. We can't have games without referees. So for me, I think... One, I say quite candidly, I think the referees, uh, the, the the FA should waive the 140 quid. Let it let referees be uh, tested and treated and examined accordingly, uh, so they become qualified. But in stopping the rot, I I fear that there's some referees are giving up because they're being verbally abused, they're being threatened physically. And, you know, I see some of the punishments that the FAs are handing out. I've, I've seen one recently, a five-year sign-die ban, a player assaulting a referee or threatening to assault a referee has received a five-year ban. They're not allowed to play football for five years. Now, you'd think that's a deterrent, but not too many people know about that. Mm. So I, I think that if we say that a body cam... Is acts as a deterrent for a policeman on the beat, then it, for me, that's where I think the FA now have got to work with the with FIFA to get permission for body cams to come in. Uh, they're fairly inexpensive. Uh, they're you know they don't have the big searchlight or anything. There may there may be issues in terms of uh, the potential of safeguarding, but. Referees have to pass safeguarding uh, examination. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, well, we wouldn't use body cams in children's games or games involving under eighteens. That that you know, for, and that eliminates the safeguarding question straight away. 
Well, you um, might say that. It, 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 you might say that, Mike, but it's it's not it's not the players at that age that's the problem. It's parents. It's it's the parents on the touchline, and we we've got to get them to understand that the referee in the middle has not come from the Premier League. You know, he might have only been had three or four games, so. We've got to find some way of getting a balance that actually protects the referee as he, like players, is learning the game. We, we watch players, even at the very highest level, make mistakes and we forgive them. But we're unforgiving when it comes to the referee. And sadly, it turns into abuse. And I, and I you know, I see this. You know, I mean, the North East Counties, of which I'm president... They've got the Dave Morrell Fair Play Award. So they're trying to incentivize their competition to reward clubs that play and behave in a fair manner. And I think more competitions have got to do that. The FA have got to come and, and say, right, okay, how can we help to, to stop the slide of referees leaving the game? You mentioned that the, the cost of these devices is, is relatively small these days. Imagine in bulk for thousands and thousands of grassroots referees that would add up to a, a significant amount. So, I mean, are we suggesting here that uh, it's up to the referee if they want to use, let's say it's allowed, uh, we've bypassed that debate, but if they want to use one, they can, you can go and buy one yourself. Um, or should this be down to the FAs, the local FAs, to be distributing them and, and encouraging their use? Well, here's a starter for 10. £140 to become a referee, right, let them spend that £140 on a body cam and you, Mr FA, allow them to be trained and to become a referee for free, as I was. I went through this, the exam for free. I was trained for free. Why, why suddenly do we have to involve ourselves in cost when actually most of the thing now, in training terms, takes place online? And, and do we have any, what's, I mean, again, I guess there'll be questions about what the evidence base is for this being enough of a deterrent. I mean, it seems naturally on the face of it that if there's someone with a camera in your face, you're less likely to do something ridiculous. However, what do we know at this stage? Do, do, we, do we have any evidence at this point to, to say for sure that this would have the right impact? Well... If we are saying that someone is in the line of duty policing people and they are using them, then surely that has to be the right move to move in that direction. Look, I brought in communication kits into refereeing at the top level because I'd seen them operating effectively within uh, the, the rugby union. So, okay, let us buy a dozen body cams. Oh, and by the way, the FA is not short of money, Mike. Do you know that they, they earn around about £8 million from red and yellow card fines? Spend a bit of that. Now, I think in general terms, the reality is that if a referee loves his sport, he buys his kit, he buys his whistle, he buys his electronic flags, so I don't think there's any issue about referees purchasing them. They will, if they're allowed to have them. 
So for me, don't have to gift them or loan them. Referees, if they're allowed to wear them and they feel that it would make their life easier on the field of play and more comfortable because they've got photographic evidence, then the old system, I think, would improve and the deterrent factor might work. We can't just sit on our hands and allow referees to be abused and assaulted because what we're doing, Mike, is we're dealing with it with a sticking plaster after it's happened, not before. Fines are okay, but they're at the end of the process. It's at the start of the process that we need to say, what can we do to protect our referees? Now, train them better. Not just in the laws of the game, the management of people. Enforce the sin bins. If they have got people watching referees and the referee doesn't apply the sin bin, if it's operable in that league, make certain that that referee's, if you like, informed and instructed that that's what he's expected to do. You've got to coach, educate and help these referees. And then you've got to run a hotline. A hotline where a referee's had difficulty talk him through the problem because at that point if you know he feels very lonely you know in that sense that's the point at which he, he you know he throws his kit down on a Sunday things have not gone right and he says I've had enough now most referees not most some referees will go through that process and by by the time it gets to Wednesday they're looking forward to the next game because it's a bit of a disease, isn't it, football for all of us? So I, I think it's just a case of saying, how can we help referees? Training is important. Dealing with conflict is important. This is why I often post sort of uh, lectures or uh, PowerPoint presentations on things like body language, um, on things like goal setting, because if you set smart objective with a referee and he understands his weaknesses then he can address them so lots of things can be done but you can't sit on your hands and do nothing i would love your thoughts on this our email address hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk that's where you can send keith a question as well we're on twitter too at seen underscore them underscore given thanks as always for staying with us to the end of the show thanks for listening new episodes if you're new to this of seen them given appear every monday and if you've enjoyed the show just give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast and it will help other people uh, discover the program as well for now though thanks so much for your company keith thank you thanks mike we will see you next time